You're listening to Unexpected, the podcast bringing you real conversations from those of us who have suffered pregnancy and infant loss. With comfort and hope for the future, I'm your host, Ashley Bitterman. Today I'm talking to Courtney, who lost her son Luca after terminating her pregnancy at 23 weeks for medical reasons. Her beautiful outlook on her devastating experience is nothing short of inspiring, and she offers incredible tips and resources for anyone who may come to find themselves in a similar situation. Courtney, I am so excited to be talking to you. This has been a long time coming, um, but so glad we connected and really excited for this conversation. Thanks. Yeah, me too. So let's kick it off with one, two, three. So what is one thing you cannot live without two of your all-time favorite movies and three people, celebrities you'd want to have dinner with. So I thought about this one because I've listened to your podcast before <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's like, this is a disclaimer. My spouse and my stepson <laughs> are the ones I can't live without, but in reality, you're plugs <laughs> in a night mask. <laughs> what was it? Earplugs and a night mask. To sleep? To sleep. It is like... I need it. <laughs> That's so funny because I couldn't be more opposite. I need TV on. Oh my God. No, I'm <laughs> like, don't touch me. Don't make noise. No light. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, I mean, you know, you, yeah. you best. <laughs> Good answer. Um, what was the second one? Two of your all-time favorite movies. Okay. So that would be Dirty Dancing. Ugh. That's number one. Classic. And um, second is a new one. It'd be Luca, the Disney and Pixar. Uh, that's where we got the name for our son who passed. Oh my gosh. Yes, I have not seen that yet. It is very much on my list. Um, but yeah, I've heard. And I love, I love that name. Um, and fun fact about Dirty Dancing, my husband and I, we just got married six months ago. And I was like, let's do for our first dance, let's do the dirty dancing dance. I was like, it's not, it doesn't look that hard. Like we can learn this. And we we started. And at first I'm like, this is, we can do this, we can do this. And then I was like, no way. There is no way in hell we are gonna pull this off. So we're <laughs> like, let's just make it a joke. So we that's what we ended up doing. It was still our first dance, but he got a Patrick Swayze wig and put on like black top, black jeans, and I put on a different dress and it was just like a total joke. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> so yeah, big fan of Dirty Dancing as well. And then three celebrities you'd want to have dinner with. Okay, so number one would be Brene Brown. Uh, that would be my ultimate. I'd spend a weekend with her. Um, then Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. She's, she's so like, funny. So fun. Yeah. <laughs> Have a few cocktails with her. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and then this is kind of like a local thing in Canada. There's this uh, woman named the Birds Papaya. You've ever heard of her? her. She's an, she's uh, an Instagram influencer, I would say, and does quite a bit for within the community, but she has this daughter named Lemmy. And I have been obsessed with her daughter. So the third would be her daughter, Lemmy. Oh my gosh, how old is she? <laughs> She's, she just turned one. So oh. I've been like obsessively watching this adorable baby for the last year. Oh like my I'm gosh. Her family. And the name, <laughs> Lemmy is such a cute name. Right? 
Okay, definitely noting to look them up after this for sure. So I can also live vicariously through her. <laughs> cool. So before we get into your story and into Luca's story, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. What, were, what was your childhood like or you grew up, that type of thing? So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is known for the Calgary Stampede, like one of the biggest rodeos in the world. Wow. So, yeah, it's like a bit of a, I guess we had a, a fake cowboy upbringing where my parents would wear cowboy boots and we'd go to rodeos and so fun. Yeah, but other than that, it's a beautiful mountain town. So um, yeah, had a really nice childhood. Um, like a suburban or country living? Suburban with a little fake country on it. Not like <laughs> like road horses or anything. But <laughs> you still rock cowboy boots? I have a few pairs. Nice. Yeah. Can't, can't go wrong. Yeah. Always, always good. It's a staple in the closet. You need at least right? one pair. Exactly. So you just got married on January 9th. So first of all, congratulations. That's Thank you. so exciting. January 9th is a very important date. So tell me about that and why that was the date you chose for your wedding. Well, so we've been engaged for two years and like many other people, we've had to plan and replan our wedding due to the pandemic and the ever-changing restrictions. So we finally, we were getting close. We, sorry, we lost our son September 15th. Um, and it just became very important to me to be married before we had another child. And that would be January 9th would have been our son's due date. Um, so we decided to throw a wedding together in less than 30 days during a pandemic and we pulled it off and people came and flights were canceled and highways were closed and it was wild, but it was, it was beautiful. And just a way to always remember our son and to have everybody together, um, to celebrate him. And each year, yeah, we have that day that's about our love and about our baby. So, oh. It's so special because it already was a special date, but that date could have come and gone with a lot of sadness and grief. And you've turned it into a celebration of your love, of Luca. And that's just, it adds so much more meaning. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Thanks. So how long were you, I know you just got married now, but how long were you and your partner, Jason, trying to conceive before you found out you were pregnant? I think it was about two years. I, he works ship work. So the pan, because of the pandemic, three weeks off, three weeks off, three weeks on, three, three weeks off. So if your cycle, if you're ovulating when he's at work, that's gonna be forever. So there was a lot of challenges with him being at work. Um, and I remember going to a fertility clinic just to make sure there was nothing going on and had my tubes flushed and, and then everything just kind of aligned one time. And we both were like, this is going to be it. <laughs> wow, you felt it. Yeah. And it was it. So, wow. And what was your reaction? I was so excited. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Long time coming. 
exactly and well you know like each month that build up and that let down and just like adjusting your life for so long for this potential what if and then kind of getting obsessive over it and then trying not to be obsessive over it <laughs> and then not caring and caring oh my gosh you are speaking my language and <laughs> it's fascinating to me that people just get pregnant and don't know what that experience is like of every single month there's so much waiting and you're it's such a roller coaster of like oh, is this gonna be it this is i think this is it this is it this is it oh like nope again yeah. start over and ovulation test and it's just so fascinating to me that it just works for people without that i don't I get know. It. that's i found most of my friends it just happened or it was like this oh yeah we got pregnant on the first time I'm like oh my god i know how it like doesn't then doesn't even seem scientifically right? possible to me <laughs> when I'm being so diligent like this is the day and, right? and it doesn't work so I just no I remember having one friend she's like you just gotta get drunk and go out and that will be the night <laughs> like, right? <laughs> yeah and when you're not trying is when it's gonna happen yeah. like when you're trying, there is no not trying anymore. Like once you enter the phase <laughs> of trying, like that's it. You don't get out of it. <laughs> yeah. So how was the pregnancy? Um, the pregnancy was tough. Uh, the first trimester, I was really sick. I wasn't throwing up, but I was nauseous like 24 hours a day. And then how far along were you when you found out that something was wrong in the pregnancy? Yeah, so it was the 21 week anatomy scan, which I didn't really even realize what an anatomy scan was leading up to this. I thought it was like, see your baby, find out the gender. So I brought my stepson who was five at the time. Oh, wow. So we're, we're in there, or sorry, I went first um, and you know, she was quite chatty and then she got a little bit more silent and was just like, I'm just trying to, you know, see baby's spine and I can't see it. And she'd leave the room and get me to do jumping jacks and all these weird things. Oh my gosh. And then she'd come back in and still be trying to see it. And then I, she's like, oh, your son's here. He can come in. So he comes in and she still was like, I just can't see what I need to. We might need to get come in again. And so we left thinking, I remember she didn't congratulate my stepson and being like, that's really weird. Like she was so friendly and lovely in the beginning and then was just a bit distant, yeah. but you know, we're happy. We've got the big thing of pictures and he's running out to the truck to show dad. And yeah, the day after the ultrasound, it was a Friday afternoon. We got a call from our midwife to tell us that um, our baby had spina bifida and Milo meningocell and severe hydrocephalus on the brain. My goodness. So you leave after the, that ultrasound thinking it's a normal scan. Yeah. Were you expecting a call the next day? No, because so the ultrasound tech can't actually tell you anything. Right. It has to be the doctor or midwife. Um, but yeah, I was just like, okay, she's just trying to get the pictures. Baby, the way she described it, baby was kind of just kind of hiding his back down closer to my cervix. So didn't think much of it really at all. So you get this call and first of all, what is spina bifida? What is hydrocephalus and how can these conditions affect a baby's development both in utero or out in the world? Yeah, so that's a great question. 
I think most women have heard of neural tube defects. So spina bifida is a neural tube defect um, and it happens within the first 28 days of a pregnancy. And what happens is the actual spine is supposed to zip up and then continue growing. And the, his little spine didn't zip up on the way, sorry, all the way. So there was an exposed part. And in that exposed part, the um, spinal column will actually be pulled outside, meaning it pulls down, leaves more space for the brain to then be pulled down into the top of the spinal column, and then blocks the flow of fluid from the spinal cord to the brain, causing the hydrocephalus. Which is fluid in the brain. Exactly. So it's, it's a three-step. It's kind of like a domino effect. The spina bifida, because there's, there's many degrees of spina bifida. He had myelomeningocell, which is the most severe kind. Um, there's kinds where children are, are born and people don't even know. Um, oh, wow. One, he had quite a significant bubble outside of his, on his lower sacrum. And what does that mean in terms of viability of a baby? Oh, goodness. I think um, there's a lot of mixed. I almost, um, with spina bifida, it depends where the actual um, experience where it's actually exposed on the spine for where it will, um, what it will affect in the body. So the higher on the spine, the higher on the body, mm. lose function, the lower on the spine, um, the, yeah, the lower on the spine, it's more of the lower limbs. So for, for Luca, it would have been, he likely wasn't able to walk, have any bowel or bladder function, sexual function um and that was just the start of it but what happened with luca is the doctors were not even concerned about his spina bifida they were actually just concerned now about the severe hydrocephalus the water on the brain so the more pressure on the brain as it develops there's a chance for a great deal of neurological challenges and you are told all of this on a phone call uh, not to the extent that, so that actually happened. The phone call was fairly brief. She was like, just so you guys know, like, I'm really sorry to say this. Your, your baby has Chiari 2 malformation, which is the part in the lower, um, the base of the skull. And then she kind of made it and hydrocephalus. And then her offside comp was like, and spina bifida. So there's just a lot at once. And I was kind of more standoffish and like okay so what are the odds this is wrong yes like let's get real here what and she was like well there is always that chance but I'm really sorry but I it's I feel very strongly that it's not the case that there's been any errors in diagnosis so right then we had the whole weekend because this is at 3 30 on a Friday we oh get the gosh. news I'm like oh my god and it was a long weekend of course. So it was like one of those moments that I think I just sat in front of Google and like we Googled everything separately and we're like, okay, all of these are like doable. Like QRE2 malformation can affect like swallowing and ability to breathe, but a lot of people have it and don't even know. Same with spina bifida and then same with hydrocephalus. But then what we didn't realize, it's the combination that make it so um, unfortunate. 
My goodness. And yeah, and that's so we had to get transferred to um, the BC Women, so British Columbia Women's Hospital, and it's about three hours away from us. So we went up for the for a couple days, and you know had the bad news room with the genetics team, and then we had the a very honest conversation with the fetal medical doctor, and she just kind of flat out told us what our life would look like, and. I don't know how to say it. like she was just very kind of almost blunt but I needed that I didn't need people to feel sorry for me I needed facts I needed I needed to make logical decisions I, it wasn't based on emotion anymore because obviously if it was based on emotion I was going to keep my baby right and that would that would be the end of it um so I was thankful for how honest she was but there was a lot a lot to deal with and a lot of unknown still you just you don't know exactly did you feel like you were presented with options yes and no I think I was presented with more options because I was we were so educated before we came in we knew what questions we had a lot of questions to ask we understood there's so there's um um in utero surgery that we could have done and got a well if we were a candidate so they would, they've not done it very much and it's offered in Toronto where they actually operate on the baby when it's still in utero, wow. which is like mind blowing, but there's the risks were so high that they were, it just didn't seem like it, it wasn't a smart option for long-term for my own health, for, for so many other reasons. And um, because of him having um, the severe hydrocephalus I don't think we would have been an ideal candidate, but I did understand that there was fetal surgery. There was um, obviously TFMR, and then there was the option of falling through the pregnancy. Um, and then they were very clear on like what the steps would be if we were to follow through. The one thing I didn't think we had, and I maybe it's just not an option for the condition you had was palliative care. I have heard that some moms will deliver the baby um, and then spend time with them and they'll pass on their own. So that was the one thing I never heard. And what did they, how did they describe what it would have looked like to follow through with a pregnancy? Oh gosh. So following through the pregnancy, uh, one where we live, we don't have a children's hospital. So we would have to predominantly be in Vancouver, which is three hours away from where we live in wow. the inner city. Um, so I would have a C-section and the baby would be immediately uh, put into the first surgery to close his spine up. And then he would have subsequent surgeries. He'd have to have a shunt put into his brain to drain the fluid. And that would be something that would be ongoing. And then um, he had, a, it was a lifelong of surgery. Yeah. Which and through the hospital. Just not a life that you expect or plan or want for your child. Yeah, and exactly. And for him to not even be, they couldn't, how do I say this? You didn't even know if he would make it after each surgery or what um, the little body would be able to take. Right, exactly. Because it's happening, doesn't get younger than that. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you come to this, I'm putting, I'm saying decision, but 
I say that very lightly and in quotes, but the ultimate decision to terminate this pregnancy. I really struggled with the word decision and like, I'm sure you can relate. A decision, it's like we had an option. It's like maybe I even say sometimes maybe more of a choice. I had two choices. I, there was no decision. It was like you had to pick one or the other. I had no real, real options that were favorable in any way, which is like the worst thing, place to be put in. You have two options. And one of them is you suffer. The other one is you let your child suffer. Um, at least that's what I felt like in my, in my situation. I don't want to project that onto you, but um, is that what it felt like? No, I'd have to agree with that. We, we thought about his little, what his life would be like, what the future, and not even, even that, there was his life, there was, and constantly being in pain for oh, and the operations. So on a bit of a backstory, um, my father was one of the children that was born, was considered a thalidomide baby, thalidomide. Um, so it was a prescription that they gave back in the 50s, I think it was, uh, for pregnant women for nausea. But what they found out is it caused severe birth defects. So my father has birth defects due to um, his mo mother taking a prescribed drug while she was wow. pregnant. So there is this other element of that. Um, I understand how hard it was for him. He had a lot of surgeries and how painful life was um, and still is. I'm not saying that gave me one way or another, but it's just a different insight I had into the potential life for little Luca. And he was so sick. Like it was honestly it was the likelihood he would be more closer to a vegetative state than anything else. And that's no life for, for a child. Yeah. Or anyone. Or anyone. And for our family and our steps, my stepson. And, and you were far along. I mean, you were more than halfway through a pregnancy and I'm sure you had started making plans for your life as a mother. So what, what were some things that you told yourself to help you as best as you can come to terms with what was happening and knowing that the life you were planning for wasn't coming to fruition? It was funny, le leading up to it, I had felt really weird about the pregnancy and it just never felt real. And I remember telling people like, I just don't, I can't see him. So I'm very intuitive. I see things in my future in that sense. And I could never see his face. Mm -hmm. And it drove me nuts. It drove me wild. And it would make me upset. Cause I'm like, why can't I see this baby? When I can see all my other goals and dreams and wishes and I can visualize it, but I could not see his face. Mm -hmm. And so it was pretty wild in the sense of, I just knew something internally wasn't right. And so it kind of made a little bit of sense when I found out it was tough. I don't know. I don't know if I, what I really did do. I think it was a lot of like just switching on my logical brain and being like, you have to get through this. You're a goddamn warrior. That's your only choice right now because you have to get through this. And so it's kind of like a switch mentalities in the sense of like, literally, like I was this like goddess warrior, like you can do this. I was listening to like drumming music, like, okay. 
And um, I did do, I don't know if you've heard of it, but shamanic healing. No. So it's um, Aboriginal healing, so Native American healing. Uh, so I did do a bit of that. I did two ceremonies leading up to it. And that made a big difference to shift my perspective and just kind of be more at peace with what was going on. Uh, a lot of it, even though we had choices, mm-hmm. quotes, a lot of it was out of my control. I couldn't change what was, what was going on with Luca. I couldn't fix him. So I needed to just be able to get myself through it. Yeah. And nobody prepares you for that. Nothing prepares you for that. And it's in that moment, it's like, I'm going through it. Like I, there is no choice and you somehow do it because there is no other option. Yeah. Well, exactly. People are like, oh my gosh, you're, you're so strong. I don't know how you're doing this. I'm like, I don't have a choice. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What (laughs) I'm going through it. Like that's it. I I didn't pick this. So what was, what was the loss and termination process like for you? So one thing I was, I'm very blessed. My partner was amazing and we really just came together and it was very private before we live in a city that we don't really have any family in. So once we found out we were just together and we were just very thoughtful together and talked everything through. And so to actually get there and to go through it, we just knew what each other needed and we had talked about it so much um, that as hard as it was, it was, I had the most amazing support. And honestly, I just, like I said, I went in as a warrior and I was like listening to, it's like, if you ever look on Spotify, it's like shamanic drumming music. And it's like, almost like chanting. And so my, wow. spouse, my, my spouse is sleeping and we're in a hotel and he wakes up and he's like, that little drummer boy on what the hell? <laughs> and I'm in the like getting ready and I'm listening to this because I'm like okay I gotta go in with this mindset like I have to shift this you know and so then he wakes up he's like oh I kind of like this so the whole drive there we're like listening to it and at first I was kind of embarrassed he's like no I like it let's do this you're a warrior today so it was like yeah was well, like, who are you embarrassed for you know like this is great right <laughs> you know it's like I need this so Um, The one thing we had is at BC Women's, they have a care program for women going through TFMRs. And Barbara, the social worker there was a godsend. Mm. Most beautiful woman. Still talk to her every once in a while and email. I love her. Wow. She just offered so much. And we really, because we also educated ourselves before we went in, Again, we asked those questions. We were open to what she was offering. So we sat down with her and she, you know, obviously showed us some care boxes that we could have. And then she also said, there's a photographer that lends their time to take pictures after you give birth. Would you like to do that? And we both were like, of course. Wow. So that was set up and, you know, we're brought into the maternity ward, Mm. but they made sure we were in the back corner and that we had specific they're specifically trained nurses for the care program. So they were unbelievable. 
and there's you know the butterfly on the door so people know that we're we're there for that reason so there was a lot of beauty and Jason and I as if I go back the one thing we wanted going into this is we need to find the beauty in it this is going to be so incredibly tragic and traumatic and painful but we need to find the beauty in it and so we did that was our goal and in each moment we found the beauty and we slowed it down and got to like experience each moment <sighs> that's an incredible outlook and not an easy one to have in what is likely the worst experience oh my god life. yes wow i mean the fact that you even gave yourself the space to process and think ahead and plan to find the beauty in it is so inspiring i looking back like i wish that that was the mantra i went in with and i'm glad that you had that because i'm sure in some ways it did help in any way at all to try to find any positives along the way instead of just constantly looking at it as a whole as just the worst experience of your life and just being able to pick out the way that you even mentioned like the butterfly on the door like gives me chills that you can even you remember these details that you can find the beauty in what was happening and helping you come to terms with it and accepting it which is so difficult to do in that moment and I yeah I commend you and Jason for being able to have that mindset going into it because that's that's an empowering mindset rather than a surrendering mindset well I think there's it's empowering and but with a bit of surrendering and just surrendering to the process instead of being crippled by it mm. and that because I did I just kind of surrendered into knowing that like this is our path and this is what we have to get through but we still made a baby we still made something beautiful i still had six months with him growing inside of me and feeling his kicks mm -hmm. and everything we experienced was just so wonderful and a blessing right yes. i i never had those experiences before and i was now a mom yeah and why throw that away because you still have that same experience and it doesn't have the outcome that you thought it would or you hoped it would but it doesn't take away from those six months of the experience that you did have. Mm -hmm. Were you presented with an option for how to terminate? I don't know if we were, I think there was only one option. So is it the KCL? I could be wrong on that. So that is the, the injection, which is similar to an amniontesis, but a larger, more painful needle, <laughs> as I can attest. Oh, <laughs> um, this is the part that I wish I could have understood from someone who's gone through it. I did have some lost moms that really helped me with what to prepare, what to pack. So I would like to talk a bit about that too, because yeah. you're, you're taught how to prepare and pack that bag when you're having a baby, but you're not prepared at all when you're going for a loss. You oh. don't like to think I needed a whole bunch of pads at home. I didn't think that through. 
Yes. I didn't think so much through. And who's going to want to go to the grocery store after they've just gone through something like that? Yeah. So the process for, for me was that I went in and I did take a pill. And usually um, you would go home for two days. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you would come back and be admitted into the hospital. And when you're admitted into the hospital, you have a KCL, I believe. And so what they do, uh, put a needle into your stomach and stop the baby's heart. Uh, and then after that, they obviously confirm it with the ultrasound. And then from there, every three hours, I was uh, given medication vaginally to continue dilating the cervix. I see. And then you delivered. Yeah. So for me, it was a bit crazy in the sense, usually because you'd go home, you'd have two days for your body to adjust from that first pill. I was because I'm from out of town and they didn't, I don't think they communicated it properly. I was admitted right away. It took me, I was in labor for 51 hours. Oh my so gosh. It was, a, I was there for three days and having pills vaginally inserted every three hours and my vitals checked every hour. It was, it was a wild ride. Um, so, and then I ended up getting an epidural because labor comes on quite hard and heavy. If you're being uh, induced, it's, it's different than coming into it naturally where there's a slow buildup, it comes heavy, hard. So I had an epidural and it ended up stopping labor. And so pretty much I sat there with an epidural for like three days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and then I ended up delivering. It's, it's so cruel. It's just, there's no other word to describe it. It's so incredibly cruel. My experience was very different. I, I was given an option of delivering naturally by way of inducing, but doing a vaginal birth or having a DNE and we opted for the DNE. So you, yours, I believe was, is way more traumatic in that I, I was an outpatient. Um, I went in the day before, had my cervix dilated, which was not fun. Um, and then had to take pills the next day and then go into the hospital. I go under anesthesia and they perform the DNE. And then an hour later you go home. So it was very, very different from your experience, which I imagine is just way more emotional. And you're already going, going in knowing it's for the worst thing imaginable. And now here you are three hour, three days in labor, knowing that you are delivering a son that you won't get to keep. Mm -hmm. It was, I remember a couple hours before I actually gave birth, I remember saying to one of the nurses, it's like, I almost forget why I'm here. Like I've been here so long, not feeling my legs. It's like, you know, we, we watch some TV and talk to the doctors and talk to the pastor and, or the spiritual advisor. And then we talk to the social worker and then, you know, I do all the medical stuff and it was just this kind of weird wild thing but the other thing if you choose to deliver vaginally in a hospital you're going to be on the maternity ward and you're going to hear babies being born so i 
luckily for me, it, it didn't, it didn't trigger anything. I thought it was beautiful in the sense of, I just was so thankful to hear those babies and knowing that somebody's getting their baby. Mm. Um, and it didn't take away, like, I'm not getting something. Wow. Which is also, I don't, I don't even know how you did that. Cause that seems like it would be the most triggering sound um, and reminder that you're not going to hear that. Mm-hmm. And what was it like when Luca was born? Well, because he was so small, so he was two and a half pounds. I think his foot came out first and it was like this giant foot and everybody commented on, oh my God, look at how big his feet are. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was kind of cute because honestly, as painful it all was, I was just so so excited to see this little human I made. Like I was like, oh my God, I made a baby and I get to, I want to meet him. Even though I don't get to keep him, I get to meet him and I get to hold him. And these are my only moments I'm going to get to parent this child. Yes. And that was, I was excited for that. Yeah. So when he was born and he was delivered and then these beautiful nurses and doctors look up at me and they say, congratulations on your little boy. They're like, dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? Wow. Which is like the tiniest umbilical cord. Oh my God. (laughs) So, you know, he cut the umbilical cord and in this weird way they created such an environment that it didn't seem like I was delivering this stillborn baby you know they put a hat on him and they wrapped him up and they weighed him and measured him and asked me what I wanted I talked about having skin to skin but babies at that because so he was just over 23 weeks their skin is very delicate it's almost they talk about they have to be careful it doesn't slough off and meaning that I like to say it's more like a blister and it can just kind of rub off. So you yeah. can be gentle with the baby because uh, their skin just hasn't thickened yet. So, you know, I thought about doing skin to skin because that could have been an option. But also with Luca, I had to be very aware that he has an open wound on his back. So his body, his fluids are eventually just leaking out of him too so there was a there was a lot going on in these moments but it was very beautiful I had this tiny little baby that I got to hold and just look at all his toes and his fingers and his his nose was his it was perfect it was just yeah and how much time did you spend with Luca it was funny the the one doctor was like okay so well I guess you can you can stay the night I had delivered at like seven feet, six fifty-eight. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm staying the night. <laughs> like, thanks. I've been here for three days. You're gonna kick me out now. <laughs> it was one of those moments. I'm like, okay, girl, get up. <laughs> so we ended up staying. Uh, so we had the night with him, uh, and then we left. I think at ten a.m. the next morning. Which part of it too is they they bring a cold cot in to help preserve the body so a cold cot i don't know if you've ever heard of what a cold cot is but um it's similar to what a a baby is kept in a living baby but this one has a cooling pad in it that Mm -hmm. is filtering cold water so it helps you to actually be able to have the baby in your room the whole time wow 
So not all hospitals have that. So some people, the baby is taken out and brought back to you to spend time. So I was very lucky in that sense of Luca could be there the whole time. And I was, you know, we were left alone. We had the evening, I could pick up my son and cuddle him or I could put him down. And like, as bizarre as it sounds to say, you know, you're caring for this, this baby who's not alive. It's, you just have this nurturing instinct in you. And it was, I just felt so blessed to have those moments. Just to look at his little face and. Oh, yeah, it's so special. And did you have a burial or ceremony memorial for him? We had him cremated and we didn't actually have anything specific, but we were gifted, um, a bush that uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a blue flowering bush that flowers in late September or mid September. So around Luca's birthday. So what we did when we planted that bush, we sprinkled some of his ashes underneath. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. how beautiful. And is that something in your yard? Yeah, that's in our backyard. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And who, who gave you that bush? So my neighbor, is one of my best friends here. She's 92. Oh, so sweet. So it was her and her daughter. Oh my gosh. Very thoughtful. So thoughtful. That's, oh my gosh. And when it blooms, it's going to be such a moment next fall. Um, exactly. How beautiful. So you mentioned, uh, you brought up a really good point earlier that everyone always tells you what to pack in your bag when you're going to the hospital to have your baby but no one prepares you for what are you supposed to do when you're going and you're not gonna come home with your baby. Mm -hmm. So how do, you, how do you prepare for that, for a hospital stay, knowing what's bringing you there and knowing you're not leaving the hospital with your baby? Thank you for asking that question because for me, I had one mom that was a godsend. <laughs> and what the things she, told me to bring were blankets. So baby blankets, bring two baby blankets. Um, and one thing she said is your arms are gonna feel empty and it is gonna be so excruciating to walk out of that hospital without anything in your arms. So you gotta get something to put in your arms. So bring a teddy bear, find something that's weighted and so your husband carries your bags and all you do is carry this stuffed animal or whatever it is on your way out. And that was the best advice I got because you literally are just, you know, you give your baby your last kiss, you leave your baby there and you walk out and you're walking out through the maternity ward, through the hospital, and it's just gut-wrenching and you're postpartum. So some women, this is actually something I do want to mention, is that not all women are given this, but there is a pill you can take to stop your breast milk from coming in. And you have to take it within a certain amount of time after you give birth. So that is very important. Wow. I didn't know that. And I didn't know I was going to be lactating. That was a surprise. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I didn't know if you had a DNA, you would be lactating. I didn't know either. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, so unexpected, but 
kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, that was emotional, but it was also like incredibly painful, but that's, okay, well, that's good to know. Um, great advice. And that, oh my gosh, what, how insightful to be so aware of that moment when you're walking out to feel so empty handed and mm -hmm. to prep for that moment, which is, might be the hardest part of all of it is to walk exactly. away. Yeah, to walk away. Oh, it was, yeah. So it's I don't not put that upon anybody. <laughs> exactly, nobody, nobody deserves that. It does sound like you had not a lot of time, but maybe a few days where you could seek out this help and preparation before you went into it and yeah. how incredibly helpful that you were given that advice from other moms who have gone through this and maybe what they wish they would have known. Is there, you know, looking back now, the trauma is obviously still there, will always be there but maybe not as fresh. What would you tell someone else who might come to experience a similar devastation that you wish you would have heard before you experienced it? The one thing for myself that made the biggest difference, and I didn't even realize I was doing this till the end. So I brought two blankets in. Uh, one I ended up, I think, using as a scarf on me and wrapping him a little bit in it but what I with the one blanket that was closest to his body and ends up getting fluids and whatever else on it you know it touches his little body I cut it in half when I left and I left half with him and I took half home with me and that was the best thing I did because it smelled like him oh and there's a lot of talk in the birthing community for mothers who give birth that milk I'm uh, sorry the scent is so important. It's triggering. It can help bring in breast milk. It can help do so many things hormonally, but there's not any talk about it in the lost community. And to have that, I had, so I had two little hats for him. One I took home with me and that was the one I was wearing and I put a new one on before I left. So I had the scent from his little head and I had the scent from his blanket and that was, oh my God, so healing. So anytime I would get overwhelmed, I would be able to go and smell and oh. to have that memory and to have that back. And that alone was so healing. Like I felt a little crazy at some points. I'm like sniffing the, <laughs> these blankets, but <laughs> it was just like, oh, it was calming. It just brought me right down. And oh my gosh. Yes. And where are, where's that hat and that blanket today? So it's beside my bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, amazing advice for sure. And probably something people wouldn't think of and definitely something people wouldn't think of beforehand because mm -hmm. you usually don't, you don't have time to prepare. And that's not what you're thinking about when you're, you're told this is about to happen. Well, and they don't give you, you know, I talked to the midwives and I talked to the uh, doctors over the phone, but nobody gives you anything before. Like I should have brought they let, they let you, or sorry, not let you, they give you some pads to leave, but they've got these ridiculous underwear. I, you know, I should have, there's postpartum underwear that are great. You can get from Freedom Mom. I recommend them for everybody. Get those, get maternity pads, be prepared uh, for a 
birth similar to 23 weeks, you're not going to have a lot of vaginal pain or anything like that because it's just so small. Mm -hmm. um, but you're going to need a sports bra because you need to compress your breasts after. You, and you should be wearing that for like weeks after all day, all night to be compressing your breasts to help um, with stopping the milk coming in. Yeah. So there's that physical side, what you need for your body, similar to what a postpartum mom would need, who's, you know, delivering a, a living child. But then there's that emotional side of your keepsakes. So what kind of keepsakes do you want from them? Make sure that you ask for the footprints, make sure you ask for handprints. What do you want? Do you want pictures? The nurses can take pictures for you. We had a photographer that spent an hour with us and we got the most stunning images. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like just advocate for yourself. Exactly. Figure out as much, as hard as it is, research, write the questions, um, be prepared because it's going to make, it's going to take away all of the, the fluff. And so you can really get down to what's important in the moments because you already are so aware of other things. Yes, exactly. So after my termination, I was sent a $12,000 bill, which was the epitome of adding insult to injury. You are from Canada where the healthcare system is, I'll just say different. Can you talk about that and if and how your healthcare actually felt like care and support rather than a burden? Definitely. I, when I first connected with you and your story uh, with Unexpecting, I think I had read it somewhere about you getting a bill and it just right there, I was like, it was jarring to me because at no point did I have to think about money. I didn't like, we had to think about the gas, getting to the hospital, the hotel for the night. Those were our, you know, paying for dinner. Those yeah. were our thoughts. We at no point had to have any discussion with anybody about how will we pay for this? Mm -hmm. How will, you know, there was, we, there was no payment needed because we have healthcare that pays for all of that, which is wild. <laughs> Sounds so simple. Yeah, uh, yeah, we have, uh, we have some growing to do in that department. <laughs> so you recently got some very exciting news right before uh, Christmas that you are expecting you're pregnant yes so, congratulations um tell me about this how did this come about well it was it was pretty unexpected to be honest we we had planned to start trying after our wedding or during the time of our wedding I had it all planned out you know and um we weren't using birth control but we were using the pullout method, which is a method. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, it was kind of funny because I had a follow-up call with my fetal medical doctor in, in Vancouver. And she was like, okay, wait, no, you need to be on birth control. And I was like, well, we're doing this. She's like, no, no, that's not going to work. You're, you need to start using like something else. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and then I talked to another doctor and she's like, your iron's really dropped are you sure you're not pregnant? I'm like, no, there's no way I'm pregnant. <laughs> and, uh, and then 
yeah, I've just, I'm going to take a test. I'm a little late, but it would have been my second period postpartum and um, took a test and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, I'm not pregnant. And then I went and did a few things. And then I, it's like I backstepped really fast and picked it back up. I'm like, oh my God, there's two lines. What does two lines mean? And I had to like get the box and figure it out. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit, I'm pregnant. I did not expect this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. And how are you feeling? Because pregnancy after loss is scary. Um, it's exciting, but it's scary. Oh, so how are you feeling? There's, there's so many different elements that are added in now. There's the, the fact that I was two months postpartum. I just started to kind of get my body back and like, you know, to fit in my pants again, not just stretching pants and, you know, starting to feel like myself. And so there was that where I, yeah, I'm incredibly excited and it's amazing that the whole trying is taken out of it. So I don't have that stress, but there's also this like yearning for my body just to feel a little different. Yeah. To, you know, to get some of my body back for a little bit longer, but by no means am I like, I'm just being honest and, um, and everything that's going on. Cause there's also being two months postpartum, the excitement of a new baby. You're also still grieving that past baby. And I don't know if there's, if it's guilt or just like pain where I almost am like, Oh God, I hope it's not a boy because my baby boy. And you know, there, there's yeah. all these thoughts that you're just, you're still really grieving. Oh my gosh, of course. And you always will be. You will, grief will always be part of you and your life will grow around that grief. But this is your story. And I totally understand and can relate to that emotion of feeling guilty for being happy. Mm-hmm. And if I'm happy, then I'm, that means I'm disconnected from my baby that I lost. And that's something that I'm personally trying to work on is just allowing myself to feel what I need to feel because it's all part of the process. It's all part of the grieving process. And if I'm happy today or I'm smiling, it doesn't mean I love my baby any less or I'm grieving him any less. So you are already a mom. Luca made you a mom. What are you most looking forward to when you get to hold and mother a healthy living baby. I think just that skin to skin with that tiny little baby and just, oh, I like obsessive. This is like obsessively look at like babies on Instagram. (laughs) It's all that shows up now. Like, okay. (laughs) I get it. I still, I follow all these baby clothing accounts on Instagram. That was like the first thing I did when I found out I was pregnant. I was like, yes, I get to look at baby clothes. And I haven't unfollowed because I'm still planning. I, I one day my baby will, will wear those clothes. Um, I am, I'm so happy for you. Nobody, nobody, nobody deserves to go through what you have gone through. It is, it is so cruel. It's so unfair. And yet it's, so common and it keeps happening. And I thank you so much for being open and willing to share your story and to share these amazing tips that can truly help other people who 
don't think they're ever going to have to go through this. Yeah, of course. Thank you for creating a platform to share this. Yeah, it's been it's been so nice to connect with other people who just get it. You know, I never thought I'd be in this position, but it's such a lovely community and supportive community and I'm I'm grateful is a weird word to be a part of it because no sure. one wants to be in this club, yeah. but uh, <laughs> we're part of the club we never wanted to be a part exactly. of. Exactly. And at least I'm surrounded by supportive people and I'm happy to have met someone like you. I wish you all the best and hope you'll keep me posted. But thank you again so much for, for sharing your story and, and best of luck to you and to Jason and your stepson and remembering Luca and excited to see pictures of that bush when it blooms in September. Definitely. And I just want to say I did start a blog. So on that blog, it's slowly coming because there's a lot going on in, the, in my life right now, but it's called thebringeroflight.com. And in that, I will have a resource page for mothers that we're going to be going through similar situations. Thank you for starting a blog and for sharing your story and for including resources on there that will help other people because the more we have, the more it'll help. We need, we need all we can get. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Ashley. This has been great. Thank you for listening to Unexpecting. Join our community by following us on Instagram at Unexpecting Podcast. If you'd like to share your story on our show, email us at unexpectingpodcast at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash unexpecting. Be kind to yourself. Be patient. And remember, today's teardrops are tomorrow's rainbows. Take care.